Good morning. So good to see everybody today. Uh, St. Patrick's Day. I didn't realize it was when I got dressed this morning, obviously. Um, when does St. Patrick's Day ever fall on a Sunday? I can't remember when that has ever happened before. No pension, though. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Hebrews today. You know, a few weeks ago, I told you that um, whenever we went through another book of the Bible, that more than likely it was going to be Hebrews. And over the last several months, God has just seems to keep bringing me back to this, just keeps highlighting it in different ways. And so today we're going to start that. But unlike the other times where we have gone through an entire book of the Bible, I'm going to do this one just a little bit different, which may actually kind of be a a challenge for me because it's going to go completely against one of the ways that I'm kind of wired. Those of you who are what sociologists have labeled uh, type A personalities will be able to relate to this. One of the characteristics of a type A is that if we are working on something or, or moving towards something, uh, we kind of get locked in on that thing and get some tunnel vision to where it's hard for us to focus on anything else about finishing the task at hand. Um, and this drives my wife, Carol, crazy because she is the exact opposite of this. Uh, she's one of those who can be in the middle of doing one thing and before she's finished with that, start something else. And before she's finished with that and she's got, and she's working on several things at the same time. Uh, that's not how I'm wired. That's not how my mind works. I got to finish this. Of course, when we go on road trips, this really creates some, some tension in the car. Um, if we're leaving, let's say to go on a vacation to Galveston, I've got one thing on my mind, getting to Galveston, nothing else. To me, the vacation doesn't even start until we get to Galveston. To Carol, the vacation starts as soon as we pull out of the driveway. So we want to stop and pick flowers and go to the outlet stores in Conroe and, and just do all these other things. But it, it, it creates some tension here. I'm, no, we got to get to Galveston. The kids are in the back. Daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, no, you're going to hold it by God. Get a bottle in the back. We're going to make it to Galveston. <laughs> Type A folks get a lot of anxiety when we hear that phrase, stop and smell the roses. Uh, We don't want to stop and smell anything. We just want to finish the job. Now, I do realize that, you know, this can be a good for for good things in in some ways. I mean, because we will definitely get things done. But unfortunately, I also realize this can be one of my biggest character flaws because I have a tendency to be so focused on something and finishing the task that I'll step all over people. I'll neglect people. Um, Sometimes if I'm going to Walmart, you know, I've got to get one thing. I'm going to go in, get that thing, and get out and accomplish my task. And I will just have blinders on. And people have been, that pastor is so rude. He just completely ignored me when he walked right by me. And if I did that to you, I apologize. It was not on purpose. I just didn't see you. I just... God. Well, yesterday I had to go to Lowe's and I, you know, God's been working on me in this. And I said, all right, I've only got one thing to get. I could just get in there and get it, but I'm going to stop and pay attention to what's going on around me. I ran into five different people from this church <laughs> and got to talk to them. And, uh, if I hadn't been mindful of that, I would have offended all five of them and just walked past them, I'm sure. 
So I say all that because this personality trait can also apply to the way I preach. And so if I begin a series of messages, especially going through a book of the Bible, I can get fixated on that and think of nothing else but just getting through it. But the Lord has already dealt with me about this and let me know that that's not how we need to treat uh, Hebrews as we go through this. And so what that means is that I'm not going to be preaching every Sunday from Hebrews until we finish it. We're just going to kind of take our time, smell the roses along the way, knowing that eventually we are going to get there. And so I may preach Hebrews three Sundays in a row, and then there may be a while I'll preach something that has nothing to do with Hebrews. So anyway, we're just going to kind of take it as we go. Um, So, I mean, it may take us five months. It may take us five years. I have no idea. But eventually we'll get there. And this just really lines up with something God's been teaching me a lot lately over the last year or so. And that is he is so much more about the journey than he is the destination. And so we're going to enjoy him on the journey as we go through this. That applies to so many things in life. So for those of you who tend to get a little weary whenever we go through a book of the Bible, (laughs) you like a little more variety, then this should be welcome news to you. For all my type A brothers and sisters, you're just going to have to deal with it like I am. God's going to stretch us in this. So today we're going to start it by looking at something very important that the writer states right here at the beginning. And what he says here, what this message today is just going to kind of set a baseline for where we're going from here on out. Now the bulletin says we're going to be looking at the first three verses, but Truth is, we're not going to get past verse 2, so we're just going to read those two verses. That doesn't necessarily mean this is the pace that we'll be going throughout the whole book. We may spend one Sunday in one verse, and it may be a whole chunk of verses for another sermon. But anyway, today it's Hebrews 1 and 2. Let's all stand together as we read this. Now, before we read it, I want you to keep something in mind. We sang a song a while ago, and one of the most powerful lines in that. God just got all over me when we sang it a while ago. When you speak, what is it? A hundred thousand failures disappear. Think about that as we read these first two verses. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us. In his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you have spoken to us. And Lord, when we hear what you have said through your son, failures just disappear. Lord, I pray that we would hear you this morning. Lord, you've already been speaking. And God, I pray that everything that you have laid on my heart would just confirm what you're already saying, Lord, would just accomplish the purpose that you want to get done in this time together this morning. So, Lord, we're just here to say, let us hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So nobody's for sure exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Some believe it was Paul. Some think it was uh, another apostle like Luke or James or one of the other writers of the New Testament. 
I feel very strongly both ways. <laughs> it could be Paul. I mean, there's things that I read in here and it sounds just like Paul had written it. And then there's other things that I read in Hebrews that doesn't sound anything like Paul. Not necessarily the substance of what's being said, but just the, the style in which it is being said. Um, another reason people doubt that it's Paul is because Hebrews is missing something that all of Paul's other letters had. A salutation at the beginning and a complimentary close at the end. We know for sure which letters Paul wrote because he identifies himself as the author in every one of them. The writer of Hebrews isn't identified at all. But those who believe that Paul did write this will say, well, that's because this wasn't like his other letters. This was not addressed to a specific church. This was kind of a more like a manifesto that was meant for all Jewish Christians to read. But regardless of who wrote it, that doesn't really matter. All that matters is that we agree that the Holy Spirit is who inspired someone to write this. And it is just as much the infallible word of God as any other part of scripture. And so ultimately we can say, I mean, in the end, God wrote it. God is the ultimate author of Hebrews. Doesn't matter what human agent he wrote it through as long as we know that it was ultimately him. So, like I said, it was written to uh, Jewish Christians who were facing a lot of persecution. And that persecution was not only from the Romans for being Jews, but also from other Jews for being Christians, being followers of Jesus. And the reason why this book is just as applicable to 21st century American Christians as it was to 1st century Jewish Christians is because they were doing something that we all still have a tendency to do today, uh, which is the reason this letter was written. Because of the persecution and the pressure they were under, they were tempted to go back to their old Jewish way of life, back to relating to God through the old covenant, back to uh, measuring their life by the law. We still tend to do that same kind of thing today. When things get hard in our lives and we start feeling the pressure in certain situations, we all have a tendency to relate to God in ways other than the way he is made available to us in Jesus. We're tempted to go back to doing things like bargaining with God with promises of greater commitment and more acts of service in order to get us out of this situation or to look for certain formulas or principles or specific steps that we can take to, to, to get us out of this. We have a tendency to do the same exact thing that these people were doing back then, defaulting to what we were used to when things get hard. And even though the time between now and then has changed a great deal, the answer and the remedy for this issue has not at all. The author of Hebrews wrote this to remind them that there is no going back to all of that for those who are in Christ. There is no benefit to reverting back to shadows that were just pointing to the better thing that has been made available to us now. If you'd like to follow along in the notes there in the bulletin, this first point just kind of sums up the whole message of Hebrews and where we're going from here. And that is that laws, principles, formulas, and steps are no substitute for the real relationship offered by embracing the substance, by embracing 
Jesus. And so the writer is going to take us on a tour showing us just how Jesus is so much better than all those other things that we tend to look to and rely on. These first couple verses here really tell us something about the nature of God. For one, it tells us that he is not some distant being or mystical idea that we cannot reach. He is not an impersonal being who hides himself and makes it difficult for us to find him. No, he longs to make himself known. How do we know that? Because right here it tells us that he speaks. It says he spoke long ago and he speaks today. How many of you have ever thought or wished like, man, I just wish I could hear God. Now, why doesn't God speak to me? I just, God, I just want to hear you speak to me. We've all had thoughts like that. I've had several people uh, come up and say things to me like, you know, you make it sound like God speaks to you a lot. How come he doesn't speak to me like that? And the implication in that and the assumption is that there either must be something wrong with them or special about me when neither one of those are the case at all. I do not believe that God speaks to me any more than he does anyone else, any more than he does others. God doesn't speak to anybody else any more than he does others. And I'm going to repeat that again because I think some of you need to know that. God does not speak to me or anyone else, any minister, any quote professional Christian or anything like that, any more than he speaks to you. That doesn't get an amen. I mean, that's some good news, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) Now, I think part of the reason why we're tempted to believing that is because we're looking at the way God operated in the Old Testament and trying to base that or assume that's still the way that he operates today. So before Jesus came, uh, under the Old Covenant, God did choose specific individuals that he would speak to and speak through uh, when he wouldn't speak that way to others. And so if all the other people wanted to know what God was saying, they had to come to this chosen person in order to find that out. And so we'll take that same principle and apply it to today, thinking that's still the way God operates. And so we'll uh, use words to refer to these other people who seem to be hearing from God more as God's anointed or God's spokesperson or things like that, believing that they have something special that no one else does. And I'm telling you right now, Satan would love nothing more than for you to keep believing that lie. God doesn't operate today the way that he did before Jesus came and changed everything. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he literally changed everything. And so, like he said, like Jesus said, you can't pour old wine into new wineskins. You can't take the way that God operated before Jesus and try to apply that to the way Jesus has changed things now. Yes, uh, God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the way that he operates and relates to us has 
changed. Jesus changed that. He does not speak to me any more than he does y'all. Jeremiah 31, God said this is the way things were going to be. He said, no one will, will go to his neighbor and say, know the Lord, meaning you're not going to have to go to anyone else, someone else in order to know me. It says, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. The only difference is some of us may have learned to look for where God is speaking. We have maybe, you know, learned to tune the radio dial, if you will, to receive the frequency that that God has broadcasted. And today you're going to discover it too. So to say that God doesn't speak to me would be the same as for me to say there are no lakes in East Texas because I can't see them from where I live. Well, that's ridiculous. There, there's lots of lakes in East Texas. You just have to know where to go to see them. Same is true for God. Of course, he speaks to you. You just have to tune your ear to, to what he's saying. So we see two different ways that God has spoken here. First, it says he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. This is referring to what I was just talking about, the way that he operated, the way that he spoke in the Old Testament times. And there's a couple things here that, that also reveals something to us about the nature of God. For one, it reinforces something that we see all throughout the Bible, and that is God working through human agency. God has always had a desire. He has always had it in his mind. It has always been part of his plan to have a people who would partner with him in the work that he does. Uh, he doesn't just do everything by himself, even though he very easily could, even though he has every right to. Um, but, I mean, really, about the only thing that we see that he has done, apart from any human involvement at all, was when was the work of creation. When he just spoke things into existence and it was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit doing this together. But as soon as he created man, he immediately included him in the rest of the work that he was doing on the earth. And he has been doing that ever since. I love what else that this says about the way God spoke, which reveals something else about his nature to us. It says he did it in many portions and in many ways. This shows just just how much God wanted to be known because if he would have just done it in one way some would have probably missed him but he spoke in many different ways because he created so many different people and so if you couldn't hear him in an explanation of the law in Leviticus maybe you could in the poetry of Psalms if you couldn't make sense of the symbolism of Ezekiel maybe you could hear God in the wisdom of Proverbs the Old Testament is filled with many different styles of literature. There is historical narrative, there is poetry, there is symbolism and foreshadow, uh, all sorts of different styles so that God could be heard in the ways that different people could hear him best. And what this tells us about God is the next point. God is not an idea to be thought about. He is a person to be listened to and enjoyed. He's a person to be listened to and enjoyed. Because that means you have to read the Old Testament in order to hear him. Is that the frequency that we need to tune in there? Well, if the writer would have just left it there, then I would say yes, but he didn't leave it there. There's more. 
He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. I want to take just a minute and talk about that phrase there, last days. There's a lot of uh, assumption of of what that means. And um, a lot of talk in the world right now about the question of, are we living in the last days? New Testament uses that phrase often. And many people assume it's referring to the end times, kind of the the last few days there before uh, Jesus returns. But when the New Testament says last days, it's not referring to the end times, not in the way that, that you and I think of end times. What it's referring to is a wider spectrum of time that you and I are definitely living in now. It's also the time that the apostles and the early Christians were living in. The next point in your notes defines what the New Testament writers mean when they say the last days. The period of time between Jesus' ascension and his return. That's what the writers mean when they say last days. It is that time period of history that has Change that has completely been affected by what Jesus has accomplished. Um, you know, people get all wrapped up, and when they come across a text in the Bible saying, In the last days, this will happen, like in 2 Timothy, where he says, In the last days, uh, uh, people will be lovers of self, and then goes through like 17 or so sinful behaviors that people are going to do. And then it'll say, um, in these last days, they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And people point to that and go, well, that's describing the largest church in the United States right now. That proves that we are living in the last days. We're in the last times. Well, that same stuff was going on 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote that. Because Paul told Timothy after all that, he said, avoid such men as these. Well, if he was telling them to avoid them then, he wasn't referring to some distant time way down in the future. And so it's, it's the same time period. They were living in it, and we are still living in it now, the time period between Jesus' ascension and his return. And so when somebody asks you, do you think we're living in the last days? You say, well, of course we are. Jesus hadn't returned yet. Not any more complicated than that. Okay, so it says that God has spoken to us during this time period in his son. Now, this is a big deal. It means that he has spoken to us in a much better and clearer way than he did to anyone in the Old Testament. Now, think about that. God has spoken to us in a better and more clearer way than he did to Abraham, to Moses, To David, we've been given something better. Now, for the writer to choose to refer to Jesus as God's son in this particular context means something because he could have referred to him by any number of the titles that Jesus is known by, but he referred to him specifically as his son here, and there's a reason for that. In ancient times, when a king wanted to send a message, when he wanted his subjects to know something, he would uh, choose someone to send that for him. And who he chose depended on the importance of the message. 
So if he wanted everyone to know about a law that had just been passed or a decree that he had made, he would probably get his district governors to be the one to disseminate that message. And so they would go to the district that they were in charge of and would tell those people within their district. Now, these district governors weren't close to the king. They rarely had any actual face-to-face time with him, but this message just kind of was passed down the chain, and then they would go send it out. But if the king was in something like negotiations with another king for a treaty that they were making together, well, he wouldn't just send district governors to do that. He's going to send someone further up the chain, maybe one of his top officials or even his right-hand man, because it was pretty vital that everyone understood what the king's actual wishes were for them to be communicated. But for messages of the greatest importance, the king would send his son. For the son of a king to deliver a message communicated that this message was of the utmost importance, that it was the most reliable, and that it carried greater authority than any other message. If the son delivered it, there was no doubt whatsoever that this was the actual wishes of the king because the son was really the only person that everyone knew for sure had direct, unlimited access to the king. He had regular face-to-face contact with him. The son had access to the king that nobody else did simply because that was his father. I've included a couple more points that will be up on the screens to go along with the ones that are in your bulletin. The next one is this. A message sent from a son meant the message was more important and carried greater authority than anything else. If the son brought the message... You better pay attention to what was being said. You know, we still do things like this today. World leaders, when they send somebody, when they can't be there, where they're not going to be somewhere, that some global event or something, they'll send somebody. And they don't take that decision lightly who they send. Because whoever they send is sending a message to others around And it shows the importance of it, how important the president thinks it is. And there have been times where presidents have sent somebody on their behalf to give a message for them and has greatly offended whatever country it was because of who they sent. And so who you send to send your message means a great deal. So with that analogy, the prophets in the Old Testament were basically those district governors. But Jesus, of course, is the son, which means what God has said through Jesus is more important and carries greater weight than anything said before. Jesus illustrated this in Matthew 5 on the Sermon of the Mount where you read through that. And several times during that discourse, he'll say, you've heard it was said, and he quotes an Old Testament text. And then he says, but I say, you've heard it was said, but I say. He was signifying his authority over what was said in those earlier scriptures. But keep in mind, though, Jesus wasn't changing it. He was clarifying it. He was clarifying what was said. So does this mean that the New Testament is more important than the Old Testament? Not necessarily. But what it does mean is that you can't fully understand the Old Testament apart from how it relates to Jesus. The Old Testament and the New Testament are essentially communicating the same message from God, The difference is that what he said in the Old Testament 
through the prophets and in many different portions and ways was veiled in shadows. It was partial. It was symbolic. But through Jesus, the partial is made complete. The shadows reveal their substance and the symbols are realized. The Old Testament cannot be fully understood or even applied correctly to our own lives if it is not interpreted and read through the lens of the gospel. I mean, you've heard me say this hundreds of times by now. This next Wednesday in our Believe class, on Wednesday night, we're going to begin the section where I'm, uh, I'm showing how to do this, how to find Jesus in everything that you read, how to read Scripture through the lens of the gospel. And even if you haven't been a part of that class, I mean, you're welcome to come because I think it's that important for us to be able to do that. Because apart from Jesus, the only thing that you're going to get out of the Old Testament are rules, formulas, principles, and moral lessons. And I'm telling you right now, none of those things will change anyone's life. True life change only happens when we encounter Jesus. And this goes back to point number one, that laws, principles, formulas, and steps are no substitutes for the real relationship offered by embracing the substance. Now, some of you may be wondering... Does this mean God doesn't speak through anyone else other than Jesus? And what about Paul and the other writers of the New Testament? Wasn't God speaking through them as they wrote the scriptures? Doesn't he still speak through people today? Well, yes, he does. But what this means is that if what they say doesn't line up with what God has already said in Jesus, then it's not from him. And here's what else it means, and this is the last point. God is not saying anything new that he hasn't already said through Jesus. Say it again. God isn't saying anything new that he hasn't already said in Jesus. So if I'm preaching up here, anything that I say, if it's true, it's not new. Not at all. I may say it in new ways. It may be new to some of you, but if it's true, it's not new because God has already said it in Jesus. Remember, I've said this before, truth is not an ideal. It's not just a a correct set of information. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus. And so if it's true... God's already said it through Jesus. This is why preachers, you know, some people say preachers will, um, uh, what do you call it when you copy somebody else's word? The word just slipped my mind. Plagiarize, yeah. Preachers plagiarize each other all the time with their sermons. Well, it's not plagiarism because we know if it's true, it's not ours. It's not new. Truth belongs to God. If somebody wants to preach a sermon that, that, that I gave without crediting me for it, go ahead because truth is God's. It's not, it's not mine. If it uh, doesn't line up with God, what God has already said, then it doesn't need to be said anyway. And so that's how you can know if God is speaking to you or anyone else. If it doesn't line up with what I already said in Jesus, it's not from God. You know, there are many people claiming to receive these prophetic words from God. How do you know if they are legit? Well, if they're claiming anything new, that God hasn't already said in Jesus, it's not legit. New Testament prophecy is different than Old Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy will always complement and confirm the gospel, not 
add to it or contradict it. A while ago, Danny came up here because he felt that he heard God give him something to say to the church. And he came to me and, and checked it with me to see if I'd confirm this. And he told me what it was. I knew it was from God. Why? Because everything that Danny said up here on this stage a while ago, God has already said in Jesus. The dry bones coming to life in Ezekiel was a picture of what Jesus was going to accomplish on the cross. And when he walked out of that grave. And so when Danny's up here saying, your broken marriages can be fixed. Your, your wayward children can be turned around. Your life can be refreshed and anew. He was just repeating what God had already told us in Jesus. So you want to hear God speak to you? First, go to Jesus. Find out what all God has said in him. Because maybe you're someone who you used to hear God speak. Seems like a lot. There was a time where it was like you were always hearing God speak, but lately it's just like it feels like he's gone kind of silent. Well, maybe he's just wanting you to go back to what he has already said in Jesus and chew on that for a while. Maybe there's some aspect or some truth of the gospel that you've gotten away from that you have forgotten about that he wants to remind you of. While I was studying for this message, I came across something that John Piper said in regards to this that is really, really good. Listen to this. He said, when I complain that I don't hear the word of God and get frustrated that he doesn't speak in ways that I may crave... What am I really saying? Am I really saying that I have exhausted this final decisive word revealed to me in the New Testament? Has it really become so much a part of me and shaped my very being to where I think I'm ready to hear something new? Or have I treated it lightly, skimmed it like a newspaper, dipped it like a taste tester, and then decided I wanted something different, something more? This is what I fear I'm guilty of more than I wish to admit. God is calling us to hear his final decisive word, to meditate on it and study it and memorize it and linger over it and soak in it until it saturates us to the center of our being. So this is how Hebrews begins. Which means as we go through it, we are going to linger over and saturate ourselves with God's final decisive word. And my hope is that in doing that, we will be changed in ways that we never have before. And we will know that without a doubt, we have heard God speak. Let's pray. Lord, it is just such a good thought to know that you desire to be known. God, that you would, that you would even allow us to know you is just amazing. We don't deserve that. Lord, you 
Lord, your word says it right here. This is how you have spoken today through your son. There's nothing else you're saying. Which means what you said must be pretty important. God, we confess we've gotten away from it. We have, have treated it lightly. We've just skimmed it. We have arrogantly thought we have heard it enough that we need something new. Lord, I thank you that you are reminding us of just how good it is, how, how much deeper it is than we realize, how much more to it there is than we have assumed. And God, I just pray for those right now who may be in one of those pressurized situations that I was talking about earlier. And they've been trying all kinds of different ways to get out of it, looking to and relying on different things. Lord, this morning, would you just reveal yourself to them and show them that you're the only one they need to rely on. You're the only one that they need to turn to. Lord, you've said so much in Jesus. Lord, I'm asking again that you would open our ears to hear it. In such a way that it completely changes us. It just transforms us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, you have made yourself known in this place ever since we got here, Lord. And I believe there is something that you want to do. Lord, for those that are in need, for those who are the ones that Danny was talking about through his word earlier, Lord, they're in that dry place. God, would you draw them to yourself? Would you fill them afresh and anew with your spirit? Lord, let your will be done. The remainder of the time that we have together in this place. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.